Thank you, ladies, and thank you, Dennis, for leading us in the worship of singing together to prepare our hearts for what the Lord would have for us today. A couple of requests that I want to share with you that you could continue to remember throughout this, this coming week. One of them all is one that we have been praying for, Jessica, that is the Ernest's uh, oldest daughter. She is at home, uh, is taking blood pressure medication, seems to be doing better, but yet still they're not dynamic or, if you would, dogmatic as to what the the whole problem was. So continue to remember. I know that uh, Diane is out there ministering to her, probably enjoying the warmer temperatures than what we are, but uh, I'm sure she is enjoying being with her daughter, son-in-law, and grandson. So we need to remember Diane also. Gloria Sigafus is down with her daughter in Delaware. The x-rays of her hip came back positive. Everything is healing well. And so she was able to go down to Delaware to be with her daughter down there. And the, the question was, how long is she planning on being there? And her exact words are, until we can't stand each other anymore. <laughs> so uh, be in prayer with Gloria as she continues to, uh, to heal in this process. Let's pray together. Father. It is good to be in your house. The temperatures on the outside are cold. In fact, many of us would categorize them as frigid. But our hearts are warmed. Being here this morning, fellowshipping with one another, coming and worshiping you, singing of hymns that draw our attention not only to your worthiness of being praised, but also the wonder of you loving us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. Our hearts, our anticipation of participating in this remembering of what Jesus has done for us. And we're glad, and we're thankful for the dynamic that we have in Jesus Christ, knowing full well that by grace through faith, we have an eternal relationship of joy and blessing. And yet, what yet awaits us in glory, we can only right now imagine but it is good to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, worshiping together, warming our hearts together as well as our hands as we fellowship one with another. But Lord, too, we want to be reminded that your word tells us that we are to pray for one another, to encourage one another. So we lift up to you right now, uh, Jessica, her family. We're glad, we're thankful that Diane is out there ministering to them. We pray for her strength. We pray, God, that you would give a healing in your time 
give wisdom to the doctors as they continue to wait upon the results of tests that have been taken. May they be able to find the right situation to bring about the healing. And God, I pray that you would bless the family, those that are back here in the East Coast and only are in communication by phone or text or even Skype. Yet, yet Lord, we pray for your peace upon this whole family. We're glad that Gloria is able to to go to be with her daughter. I'm sure that her daughter is having great joy in being able to minister to her mom. Pray for continued healing. I pray, God, that her hip that has uh, suffered with breaks, that it would continue to mend, and that her arm that was broken, I, I pray, God, that that too would mend. And, and give both of them, daughter and mother, give them calmness of heart and peace in the depths of their soul. May they have a good time being together. May their lives, O oh Lord, be strengthened even in a deeper sense as they're able to be with each other. Pray, Father, for continued watch care over Gloria. And ask, Lord, for a healing in, in your time and for your honor and for your glory. We, we pray for our government, Lord. You tell us to pray for those who are in authority over us. You've instituted government for our protection. And, and I pray, God, for our president and vice president and his cabinet. I lift up to you, Lord, our senators and our House of Representatives in the, the national scene. I ask God for a, a hand of protection upon all of them. That God, that they would recognize that they're not there for themselves. That they too will have to be held accountable to you. And I pray first, Lord, that in that their, their first looks in the morning would be up to you. They would be asking of your wisdom. And they would be searching, O oh Lord, of your will to be done. Those in those positions who know you as Savior, I pray, God, that you would use them as instruments of your righteousness. May their words of witness and their lives lived out as a witness to those around them. May, O oh God, may there be an awakening of your spirit, turning of hearts back to you. Pray that same for our state government, our, our governor and, and, and vice governor, Pray, God, for our senators and our House of Representatives. They, too, need to hear from you. I pray, O oh God, that their ears would be open, their hearts would be receptive. Pray for our servicemen and women all over this world. 
Wherever they are, I, I ask, O oh Lord, for your protection upon them. That you would grant to them, O oh Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for our country and, and the safety and the openness that we have to be able to worship you. I pray, God, too, now that you would use your word and our time spent together to remind us that we would remember what you've done for us. I can think of no better way than to begin a new year by coming to your table, a place of remembrance, place of anticipation, but also a place of examination. For these elements are that which remind us of your grace and your mercy, your willingness to die for us, that we might have eternal life by grace through faith. Bless your word today, Lord. May the familiarity of the passage not cause us to doze off spiritually, but may we find a newness and a freshness in your word this morning. And we'll be careful to praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are going to pick up the narrative beginning at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Please follow along as we begin reading at verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is, is it not to eat the Lord's supper? For in eating, each man takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread and or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak, sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I'm sure all of your houses are, are like the ones that my wife and I occupy, not for the fact that they look exactly like each other, but you have pictures hanging on your wall. I'm reminded as I walk down the hallway of the parsonage that on the left-hand side of the wall, there are cartoon characters of our children. As they were in high school, they had the privilege of their choir going down to Disney World to perform. They were well-known, and you should if you have about a 400-piece choir. And, and so they did that every other year. And while they were there, they came back with cartoon characters, portraits, if you will, of themselves, in a more serious manner. In one of our walls in the living room are their graduation pictures. They don't look anything like those down the hallway, but they are them as they were many years younger. And then we have photo albums, as I'm sure all of you have, and some of the pictures mean more to you than anyone else that would take a look at them. Each picture that you have reminds you of an event that affected your lives. Some of you that have been in our up in the parsonage for dinners and such have commented frequently of a picture of my wife and I the day we got married. August the 3rd, 1974. I think I weighed... 155 pounds. I had different colored hair. Not purple or blue, not that kind, but it wasn't gray. I wore a, a brown tuxedo with, though, shoes of hush puppy shoes. You don't normally wear hush puppy shoes with a tuxedo, but 1974, you did those things. My wife had long, flowing hair. Through many children, she decided long hair is not a good thing to have, and so she has since trimmed it up. But we stood there together 
at the beginning of our lives in front of a old country church that we attended that if there were 50 people on a Sunday morning, we thought world evangelism broke out. Now, when you see that picture, most of you just laugh. And I can't say I blame you. I look a lot different then than I do now. But I've ceased laughing. I smile. Because that picture holds for me a different meaning than it does for you. Pictures have, have a way of doing that. In fact, I've never seen any of you bring forth your wedding albums that I could laugh at. And I wouldn't. Well, maybe some I would. When we come to the communion table, it's an album of God. For each of us, there may be somewhat of a different picture that we enjoy. We may remember instantly of the day that we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes a whole new meaning of these elements that we have here this morning. Some of you, it may take you back to the very first time that you partook of a communion elements, whether it was here at Grace Community Church or another church, but in reality, the picture we have this morning is of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How we view that, well, that's totally up to you. What is amazing, though, in the passage that we just read, each of us are to carry a picture. Each of us, as a child of God, is to, we are to be a living portrait, if you will, of a transaction that these elements have in store. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. But in reality, we are to show forth, as the text says, we are to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What's interesting about that word proclaim from the Greek, it literally means to preach. We are to be preachers of an event. We are to, if you will, be proclaimers of a picture of a life that's been changed. I want to give to you four, if you will, points. Four points that make up this proclamation, this, if you will, this message that we are to proclaim. The first one is a... Our message is to contain a word of explanation. Explanation. The communion service is one of two ordinances that I feel that Jesus Christ has given to the church to follow. 
one being baptism, the other being the communion service. In the baptism, the explanation goes that we see it, it highlights, if you will, it shows forth in a very dynamic way the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Individuals who partake of that particular baptism, believer's baptism we call it, as they are lowered into the water, as they are raised out of the water, then we too are associating ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul proclaims in Romans chapter 6. We are to associate ourselves with him. The communion service also has a way of explanation. Our message is to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And these elements remind us of that. The word that we are to carry with us is to the fact that as we partake of this bread and of this cup, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim it. It is to bring about, if you will, a change. The second word that our message is to have is a, a word of exaltation. You'll notice that as we read in verse 24 and 25, it says that as Jesus took the elements, as he broke the bread and he gave Thanks. He gave thanks. What I find interesting in this exaltation is praise. We at times need to take introspection, also inspection. Is my life being lived to the praise and honor of all that Jesus Christ has done for me? When Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. He's speaking prophetically. Up to the time of the upper room discourse that we find the situation that Paul is referring to, Jesus periodically told his disciples that I must needs go to Jerusalem to die. In fact, you might remember one of the conversations that he had with Peter was just about that same thing. Peter, I'm going to have to die. And Peter said, no, we, we won't let you die. And Jesus said these words, get thee behind me, Satan. Not that Peter was Satan, but he was thinking wrongly. And so when Jesus, when he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, he's speaking prophetically, but he's also speaking profoundly. For in it, he's declaring what he earlier spoke in John chapter 10 and verse 18, when he says, no one takes my life from me 
I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down, and I also have the power to raise it up. Jesus is speaking about what he is about to do. And that is willingly giving of his life. We are to have this message, if you will. We are to be thankful people, full of praise and exaltation for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Some of you might have found that a difficult chore in these past two weeks. Specifically, when, if your vehicle is like mine, I have a thermostat that tells me how cold it is outside. I don't think there's much difference between minus six and minus eight, but the thermostat told me that one morning this week it was minus six and then minus eight. We, we have at times the propensity to complain, though. Why does it have to be so cold? And in the middle of July, we're saying, why does it have to be so hot? Words that Rick Weaver and Tom do not use because they like it to be hot. But I've heard them on the bus and we're not happy that it's that cold. But yet in it, as someone was sharing with me this morning, yes, it is cold. But it's killing bugs. It's killing weeds. It's killing germs. I think we can put up with that. We should be people of exaltation and praise. If you think it's that bad out, there would be millions of people who would be willing to change places with you instantly with no questions. They will take this cold because they may be in a condition that they can't feel this cold anymore. They're paralyzed from the neck down. They would be willing to take your place. We ought not to be complainers. We ought to be praisers for what God has done for us. The third point, if you will, or the third point of the message that we should be preaching is this. Well, we should include a word of expectation. Jesus says in this verse 26, that we are to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He's coming again. My mind quickly went to John 14 and verse 3 where Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. I went to Acts chapter 1. And in verse 11, where the angels said to those disciples of Jesus, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus 
who was taken up into heaven will come again in like manner. Jesus Christ is coming again. Our lives should be a proclamation of that truth. If we knew that Jesus was coming this afternoon, how different would our lives be up to that point? If we could fathom the final seconds prior to the coming of Jesus, the trumpet that will sound that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. If we knew exactly when that was going to happen, how different would we live prior to that? Well, that's an issue that even Jesus himself, the Son of God, does not know the time. Only the Father. But what he wants us to do is to live in such a way that it may happen in the next few moments. How much would our lives change? And lastly, we are to have a word of examination. Therefore, let a man examine himself that he does not eat the bread nor drink the cup in an unworthy manner. He's not talking about an unworthy person. It's an adverb. It's an unworthy manner. What type of manner are we partaking of these elements? What type of manner do I live my life in the presence of people? You have to go back to chapter 9 in order to catch the full context of what Paul is talking about when he comes to chapter 11. In chapter 9, he's saying, how can you partake of both a table of devils and a, a table of the Lord? The two don't coincide to each other. The Apostle Paul even said that in chapter 9 that if my, my eating of meat offends a brother, he said, I'll never touch another morsel of meat again. He's speaking of relationships. Is it about me or is it about others? In the previous verses that we read, we'll notice that the, the Lord's Supper was being abused. Those of higher rank were eating so that they were either drunk or in many historical aspects they would go outside, cause themselves to cast from their stomach that which they've eaten just to come back in and refill up again. And then there were those who were hungry. They were of lower class. Apostle Paul also makes mention of 
fleeing idolatry in verse chapter 10. I, I boiled it down to this statement. Am I living to honor the Lord God? Or am I living to please myself? Living to please myself brings me to eating in an unworthy manner. Because I'm here to tell you this morning, this is not about me. It is about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. The message that we are to proclaim, explanation, exaltation, examination, and also expectation. We are to proclaim it till the Lord comes. I pray that this particular communion service, the first one of 2018, won't be the same. It won't be just happenstance. It won't be just tradition. I pray that it will be a proclamation of God's grace. Again, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the way in which we as your children are to proclaim the wonders and glories of all that you have done for us as evidenced in these elements this morning. May we, O oh God, search our souls. May we make sure that we're not partaking in an unworthy manner. Lord, we have, we have more to live to honor you than to please ourselves. That's what makes the Christian life a joy to be a part of, to honor our Savior. As we partake of these elements this morning, may our hearts, O oh God, be warmed with your presence in anticipation of your coming again. And we'll thank you in your name. Amen.